It's time for the show. Um, oh, where is everybody? Um, <clears throat> uh, hi there. I'm Kermit the Frog, and we're uh, well, we're we're almost ready. Uh, How you doing? Name's Robin. Nice to be, but you can call me Chuck. <laughs> I'd now like to introduce you to your pilot, a person who has been with this program since its inception. Captain, are you ready? W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 759. And together, as we have been since 2005, I want to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience when you go to the parks. And I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook every Wednesday night, blog, live events, weekly newsletter, and more. Please join the community and find everything at www.radio.com. And this week's show is one that I have literally waited years to record and share with you as we embark on a magical journey through the best of the best from the Disney parks around the globe. From dining to resorts to attractions, shows and spectaculars, we share your ultimate guide to the most unforgettable and overlooked experiences the Disney parks around the world have to offer. Of course, we're also going to have our Disney trivia question of the week where you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, and I hope that you do, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Earlier this year, I completed a quest, a quest for fun, that I didn't realize I was beginning more than five decades ago when I stepped in my little Buster Brown shoe-wearing feet into Magic Kingdom. Um, Little did I, or my parents, thank you, Mom and Dad, know that how how this moment and, and this place would literally change my life. And finally, after years of not really so painstaking research, dedication, travel, and dining, my own personal crusade was complete when I stepped foot into Disneyland Paris for the very first time and thus achieving my goal of visiting every Disney theme park around the world. I hope, by the way, I only did this thanks to you, my friend, our friend, who's sitting at this virtual table with us. Um, so thank you for listening and giving me this platform and voice to uh, to share it upon. So thank you. But uh, timing is everything. And because Disney is celebrating its milestone of 100 years, I figured that now is the time, now is the best time to look at the best of the best from the Disney theme parks around the world. And my goal is to share with you not just the results of my research, but others who have ticked every box and realized the goal of visiting all the parks and probably trying most of, if not all, of the snacks. So I invite you to please welcome my friends, fellow adventurers, 
literally and figuratively, as we have taken some adventures together, members of the WWE Nation and Disney enthusiasts first, I still believe in ladies first, of course, no show like this would be complete without her royal Beckiness, Becky Mankin, from, I don't know what that means, Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel. What does that mean? I have no Her idea. royal Beckiness? Is that, is that, oh my gosh. I was I'm be- afraid. Wait, I'm afraid. I don't want to know the answer to that question. Let's just move on. It's great to be back, Lou. This is a, a wonderful conversation with a, a great group of, of friends. I can't wait to kind of dive into this. So let's go. Becky, I literally, like, for years I've been thinking about this show. And that's why it was like so – I was so excited when I finally visited Disneyland Paris because, okay, like now I can do it and it just aligns with the Disney 100. So timing really is is everything. Uh, I would also like to welcome to the show, I think hopefully longtime listener, first-time participant, longtime friend, uh, Janine. Janine, when did we first meet? Oh, gosh. Well, I was listening to you back in, what, Mousefest time? Yeah. Oh, maybe that's so, probably when we first met. It was like 2005 Mousefest? Yeah. Yeah. I remember I remember you did a show on Disneyland that you had not been to at that time. And you were like, well, I mean, that was the park where, you know, Walt shook out all his mistakes before he, he went to Disney World. And <laughs> I remember thinking... Hmm. How, how the tide has changed. I actually have been on the show They were learning opportunities for Walt. That's what they were. <laughs> and last, certainly not least, is oh. Jeremiah Good from LaughingPlace.com. Lou, I love being on the show with you and being on with these two lovely ladies. This makes for a great day. And, and I think, and I agree with you, um, and I think... And part of the reason why, certainly I think this had to be done in this roundtable-like format, was to have different opinions, different voices. Because I think there's a lot of things that we like that are the same, but I think when we start talking about the best of the best and and thinking about this list, it's going to be really interesting. Um, And I know, like, from me, as I started to think about it, you know, after I finally visited Disneyland Paris, a park that I I very clearly fell in love with, like I was wondering if I was going to have any sort of recency bias as I started to go through this list. We shall see as we go on. But um, there's a if we're going to talk about the best of the best from all of the parks, there's a lot to cover. And as I start to quickly jot down, first I was like, oh, it'll be ten questions, twenty five questions. The question list got a little longer. So my my goal, my intent is to not have this sort of full-blown discussion about each one of these or a courtroom argument as to what is the best and why. Just maybe a, a quick synopsis and, you know, maybe justifying why we put this on our list as the best of the best. And then maybe we can go back and do a full, you know, full review. We'll go visit places like Tokyo Disney Sea and explain why blank place is on our list. So live show. That's a great a live, live show. Listen, opportunity. Um, I am I, uh, I'm ready to leave hey, today. Let's go. Um Paris, Shanghai, shall we? We could make our own around the world adventure, is all I'm saying. So <laughs> the the <laughs> the goal is for us to maybe take 60 seconds-ish per question. You're all laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Because we know you. 
We know how this goes. We're going to be here for a while. It's fine. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to take 60 seconds, you know, total, not 60 seconds, seconds each to discuss. So what's the one on your list and why is it on it? We'll see how this goes. Um, strap in, sit back, relax. Um, okay. I'm going to, we're going to go with the, for me, it had to be the obvious first. We're going to go right to dining. Like, let's just get right into it and start in, in the part of the parks that is so very important, right? I keep saying attractions are just things we do in between food. So your first question, we're going to hit like a big one right out of the gate. What do you consider to be the best table service dining experience in any Disney park worldwide and why? So I'm saying like overall, like food, theme, ambiance, and setting. Janine, you've never been here before. I'm gonna it's gonna be trial by fire, and I believe in ladies first. So Janine, Becky, and then Jeremiah. Um, my pick for best table service would be Magellan's over at Tokyo Disney Sea. Um, just a beautiful setting. The food is good. It's on mysterious islands. Who could you ask for anything more? <laughs> See, I have four, so that's that's the I know so difficult. Uh, I, I'm gonna say this. You're gonna say I can't use this one, so that's why I have. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're gonna say, and you can't it use is. this. Oh boy, I, I have to because it's it's the actual truth. It's Disneyland Club 33, which has one of the best chefs on property, and it's got a great ambiance. And I know you won't allow me to say that, so I'm gonna forget about that one for a second and move on, and say, you know what? I honestly think for the the best experience I've ever had, besides Napa Rose and Kumite, are the chef's table at Victorian Alberts. I think out of all the dining experiences that I've had on any Disney property, that's the one that has stuck in my brain between watching the masters at work in the kitchen and there's no words in between them. They're, they're just creating these beautiful dishes and it's totally uh, at the chef's whim. And I absolutely love that experience. I agree with you. Although I think the chef's table at pizza Rizzo is much better. Uh, Jeremiah. <laughs> chef's table at pizza Rizzo is really good. Nice. Um, I'm, they should do that. Wait, they should do like a chef's table experience at like a counter service <laughs> restaurant just as like this weird, like goofy thing. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, while I do agree with Becky, Club 33 is probably the most amazing food experience I've ever had. Um, I am going downstairs. Blue Bayou, uh, the original themed dining experience for any Disney park. Every time I've gone there, amazing food. The ambiance is great. It's just so relaxing. And sitting there, you feel like you're in the presence of Walt. So I love all those. And I actually sort of, as I was making my list, I sort of quickly put other ones. So like I put Magellan's, but I hadn't had a full meal there. So I didn't think it was it was completely authentic for me to put it. But I love the theming and the location and everything about it. Um, in, in terms of Walt, like I even wrote down, and it's not because of the food being outstanding, but I love waltz in Disneyland Paris and being able to sit by the window and look out on Main Street and the theming of the different rooms. I almost cheated a little bit and put Remy on the Disney Cruise Line, but it, it's, we're talking about Disney parks. Um, so I put Takumi Tei. I think Takumi Tei is, for me, even more so than the chef's table at Victorian Alberts, which is an outstanding experience, but 
Takumite is repeatable. It's authentic in, in every sense of the word. And you forget that you are in Epcot Center when you are dining there. Um, I, I think it's remarkably good. So Has that reopened yet? That, the food there, I thought, was probably one of the best uh, that I had had, at least in uh, at Disney World. Yes, Takumite is actually calling Janine right now to confirm her reservation <laughs> for next week. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not like all like famous like you guys. I don't have like an audio room set up. <laughs> Uh, well, Janine takes her call. We'll move on. And Becky, this is going to be a little outside of your wheelhouse. We'll explain to you what a table ser- oh. a counter service location is. But in your opinion, wow. what Disney park offers the best quick service food option? Like, what is it? And what is the best quick service food option in any Disney park around the world? Janine will take a call. Becky, you can go first. Awesome. Thank you for explaining to me what a quick service is, because, you know, I only eat at a lot of them because it's usually (laughs) you and I going to 42 quick service places in a three hour period because you have to have all the snacks. Um, All right. This might be kind of weird, but I think the Disney California Adventure actually has the best quick service because between Flo's and Pim Test Kitchen and Cozy Cone Motel, the new San Francisco Square, um, oh, and you can't forget the Jack Jack cookie num nums because that's I like them. They're some of the best cookies out there. Uh, the shawarma, the corn dog castle, and then um, there's obviously the this the place that has the sourdough chowder in the the bread bowl that I love so much. But uh, I can make an entire week's worth of meals just between Flo's and Pim's. Cozy Cone Motel and the San Francisco. If you had to pick one quick service location, like one quick service location in any park around the world, which would it be? Around the world? Yeah. Oh, see, you told me park. So I went to park. Oh, I meant like, yeah, Uh, I'm sorry. I meant like what's the best quick service restaurant anywhere? Oh, see that change? (gasps) You know, well, no, that's a sit down. (laughs) Wait a minute. No, that's a sit down. Darn it. Um... I keep kind of moving towards the cozy cone because I love all the different varieties you can get in all of the cones. You can get sweet or savory or ice cream or popcorn or that awesome mac and cheese. And they change seasonally, which is nice, too. Yes, exactly. So I think you've kind of got everything covered in that that one area. Okay. Janine? So... For me, when you say best quick service food option, um, the one that that immediately came to mind that that had not only did it have decent food, but it actually just had like so many auxiliary benefits was that counter service in uh, World of Avatar. I think it's what Satuli Canteen. Yeah. Just for the fact that that is like the only place you can sit down in air conditioning in uh, (laughs) Avatar while you wait for your... uh, your, your time to go on a flight of passage. Um, I just find that, that that one just had a myriad of, of benefits in, in that sense. So Thule was on my list, but did not win out. <laughs> Jeremiah. Uh, Disneyland. I'm going across the street, across the Esplanade from Becky. Uh, Disneyland for me has the biggest variety uh, I mean, DCA does, but Disneyland has, instead of just like two items, you know, you can go to Rancho, you can go to 
pizza port. You can go to anywhere and they have something different. Um, you know, the, you asked earlier about what may not be my favorite and that Magic Kingdom is difficult because if you want burgers, they have those at every single restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as my favorite goes, I I think I may be going with Becky. The Cozy Cone does have some great options and you can just go from one cone to the other right there and get it. So the cozy cone was on my list for those reasons, for all of those reasons that, that I love. Um, so Tuli canteen also, because I love being able to sort of design your own bowl and, and make it yourself. And you're right, Janine, just in terms of the air conditioning alone, but without even sort of thinking the very, I, I put a single word down, you know, as I was creating my own list and that word and this is going to be the beginning of the love letter is Volcania, uh, Volcania uh, at Tokyo yeah. Disney Sea. I think possibly has the best overall atmosphere of any Disney quick service restaurant, and even some of the table service restaurants. It's in Mysterious Island. It it's um, it's so incredibly well themed with that twenty thousand leagues steam pump, and I and I love the same thing. It's like a sort of a a very casual buffeteria that has a wide variety of um, Chinese and, and Japanese offerings, whether it's noodles and rice and, and meats and dim sum samplers and sitting inside is amazing. But Becky, I think we, we had back to back meals there the first time we went and we sat outside and you're watching the cars go by of journey to the center of the earth. And the lagoon is there and Mount Prometheus is erupting in front of you. And it's just like, you come for the atmosphere, and yes, you even stay for the food. Yeah, you can eat there day after day after day after day just for the atmosphere. And you get different choices, too. There's so yeah. many options there that you could you could eat there several times and not have the same thing twice. Yeah. And this is uh, – spoiler alert. This is not – you are not the first to mention something from Tokyo, nor shall I be the last. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a salute to all theme parks, but mostly Tokyo mostly Disney Sea. <laughs> uh, uh, Janine, what is the most unique or innovative food item you have ever encountered at a Disney park? All right. So, besides the sheer number of varieties of popcorn in Disney Sea and the little green mochi men, which I have to go back just for the little green mochi men because that's amazing. This is not a food. I'm just going to be upfront, but it's not going to surprise you when I say this. The, the one thing that was the most unique or innovative for me was a fuzzy tauntaun. <laughs> just, <laughs> it is a food in liquid form. Yes, it's a food in liquid form, and it does have that, that tingly sensation. I've never had a drink that had that tingly sensation, and it still is one of my favorite uh, beverages to have on property. And I, I think that that's the most unique for me. That's actually a really good one. Putting a drink in there is a good one. Uh, my answer is two words, Tokyo Disney Sea. <laughs> no, Disney Sea is one word. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I I can't tell you what I didn't try at Tokyo Disney Sea. Like every single location, every single land, I would get something. So there isn't a oh, this was the one. Although I do want to jump on the most innovative. And this will probably be something that only Janine remembers. Back when Toontown and Disneyland first opened, 
at Daisy's Pizza Place. They actually made the pizzas with the robot right there. And it was just something really cool. <laughs> so for me, so I, I thought about how I phrased the question, right? Because the next one's going to be somewhat similar. And this is, this is unique or innovative food items. Because at first I was going to put one of my favorite snacks in Tokyo Disney Sea, which is this, it's a pork and rice roll um, in the American waterfront. And it's a stick shaped, what's called an onigiri. It's a, it's like a, it's like a rice ball that's wrapped in bacon with this sweet, uh, like a shoyu sauce, like a soy sauce. I think I had 11 of them just while we were waiting for tower of terror. But when you, when you say Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney sea, I have two words for you. Popcorn. Um, there is nothing like it anywhere in the world. This is just a quick list of what at one time during the year, because again, it does change seasonally, you can find in Tokyo. These are flavors of popcorn, mind you. So keep that in mind. Caramel, fine. Soy sauce and butter. It's amazing. Milk chocolate, curry, salt, honey, black pepper, garlic shrimp, strawberry. I can't even pronounce this word. Mille fleur, strawberry something, <laughs> salty caramel, cheddar cheese, matcha white chocolate, and berry cheesecake. But Becky, do you remember that when we were there, they had this tomato flavored popcorn by Soren? It tasted like a bowl of spaghetti. Spaghetti. On, and mm -hmm. it worked. All of these absolutely work. They sound like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but they are amazing. Like, the, Wait, there they is had a, Cocoa Puffs popcorn too? If they had it, I would try it because I trust the popcorn chefs at, at Tokyo Disneyland. Like, Yeah, if you would have told me that, uh, here, have some spaghetti popcorn, and I would have looked at you like you had 14 heads, but no, it was amazing. Yeah. And yes, that's another thing we have to have when we go back. But, you know, in between things, in addition to the things that are very unique, right, and were or, or innovative, there's also snacks that are iconic and what is sort of the most iconic delectable sweet or savory treat in any disney park around the world i'm going to mix things up a little bit and make jeremiah go first um so this has been something that has been on my mind since 2016 when i experienced it uh i had the chance to go to hong kong disneyland and I can tell you exactly where it is and everything. It was the Toy Story little booth that sells Dole Whip. And it was Mango Dole Whip. And that was the first time, because Mango wasn't big in the U.S. until 2016-2017. To this day, I dream of Mango Dole Whip. I have Lou moments of like, I just sal salivate. salivate over mango dole whip I, it is something so weird and i know they brought it over um to the polynesian a couple of times but it just was never the same but that is, to me is the if i could have one thing right now it would be that they always say you never forget your first mango dole whip so yeah. <laughs> yum uh becky i have to go coast to coast sweet and savory here um the churro funnel cake at hungry bear at disneyland the, the first time I ever tasted a churro funnel cake was amazing. And I, I, I kept it and ate the entire thing all myself and made my husband go get his own because it I was, was like, that wasn't so with good. Lou. <laughs> no, oh no. Um, 
and the the other one I like is the cheeseburger spring rolls. Yeah. At Oof. in in Disney World. Oh my gosh, I had never had one of those until about a year ago, and now I, I make a beeline right for that cart because the cheeseburger spring rolls are so good. Nice. And Janine. Um. So actually, I had on my list. Uh, going back to your bacon rice roll, which is actually one of my favorite uh, snacks over there. Um, but I think for iconicness, you kind of have to go back to Becky's earlier choice, the alien mochi um, for so Tokyo cute. Disneyland. You're so cute. cute. Yeah. Very Instagrammable. Yeah. Uh, Becky, I literally remember like eating it with you like there. And we just had these like, and this is what Disney's supposed to be about. We have these like five-year-old smiles on our faces, like because they just are adorable and edible all at the same time. So what Somebody I should of, make them here. Just they should, but then they, but now it yeah. gives us a reason to go, right? It's why, but we just Fair need point. to go once a year. But we'll get to that after the call. Um, so I thought of iconic snacks, right? Disney puts Dole Whip literally on the map. The mochi was there. I, for a second, I thought about the Chandu tail in Disney mm. Sea. It's that mm -hmm. tiger tail shaped um, steamed chicken bun over at um, Sultan's Oasis. Uh, but the the winner for me in terms of iconic snacks and Becky, I remember experiencing this with you. I can tell you exactly where we were sitting like it was yesterday. Hong Kong Disneyland, the dim sum specialties at Crystal Lotus, the green yes. alien mochi, hold my mochi because these <laughs> Disney character themed dim sum really not only gives you sort of a local flavor and culinary experience, but they are themed towards like they're decorated like uh, I think one of them was like the three little pigs and it was a Donald and Daisy and there was a Duffy like they're adorable and edible at the same time I am going to I will find a, my picture and I'll share it on Instagram and in the clubhouse they're almost too cute to eat like it, it they look like little works of art because they really are and and that's why for me it's it's not just the presentation of them but the flavors of them and the Disney touch of having the variety of Disney characters. The Asian parks win the title when it comes to cute food. Yeah. Every time you turn around at every cart, every location, even in the restaurants, there's something that's so adorably cute. And he's looking up at you with these big, huge eyes saying, don't eat me, but you do anyway. <laughs> so that's the, the squid on a stick on Hong Kong Disney <laughs> on Main Street. That's all I thought of when I walked by there. Don't eat me. Don't eat me. <laughs> well, they listen, the, you know, again, we'll, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this too, you know, characters in the parks uh, and the way that the character interactions happen, where they happen, the characters that are there. But let's talk about our favorite or the best of the best character dining experience. Becky, I know, again, there's usually children present at these things, but just Jeez. sort of for today's purposes, <laughs> see what you can do. Wow. Okay. My favorite character meal anywhere right now is Topolino's yeah. character breakfast. I absolutely adore the music, the atmosphere, the menu. I I love the quiche, by the way. But the costumes on the characters are so unique between the painter and the ballerina and all of the other. It's, it's so incredibly unique and cute. And I love the music, how where they parade through. It's just such a um, a, a joyous touch of music and I, I love it yeah. I absolutely love it Janine um, so I don't I'm not like a 
huge character dining person. Uh, for me, I, I, the fewer things between me and the food is, is usually <laughs> what I'm going for. Um, but we, I, I did have um, a nice experience at the, the Princess Dining in Disneyland Paris. I think it's Auberge de Cendrillon. Is that? I, I'm probably garbling yeah, that. That's about as good as I could get either, yeah. Janine. <laughs> It was it was very nice. They had a lot of princesses. Mulan had a really um, thick British accent. It was it was. I thought that was pretty cool. And that's saying a lot because I was there with Janine, and we were stuck <laughs> in the corner trying to push our way out to get to the princesses at times. Nobody puts Janine in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for mine was something that I stumbled on, and that's the Enchanted Garden at the Disney Hong Kong Disneyland Hotel, and that was one. You know, we were there with like, okay, let's go do a character meal. And we just happened to get a reservation and walking in. The dining area is beautiful. The display, the food was amazing. And the characters, like, there was just something special about them. It may have been that it wasn't that crowded while I was there, but just that overall location will always be one of my favorites that I took on any trip. This, this is the reason why we're all friends, because the two that you mentioned were the two that I had on my list. I had Enchanted Garden for breakfast, where you have, you know, these wonderful both American and Chinese options and that full Chinese breakfast buffet. But there's a a wonderful casual elegance to that place. But Becky, Topolino's Terrace Breakfast a la Art was the, the clear winner for me with not just the French and Italian inspired dishes for breakfast the views of the surrounding resorts and the skyliner and the terrace and hollywood studios and epcot and those characters in unique costumes there is a comfortable elegance to topolinos that i like i think the food is outstanding and that for me was a a, a clear 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 winner but we're going to round out we're going to we're going to finish off for, to a certain degree our discussion of dining i want your best overall themed dining experience. So this is where atmosphere, ambiance, story, decor, decoration all comes into play. Again, we'll sort of mix things up a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah, Janine, and Becky. Uh, mine, this actually worked out pretty well that Janine is on this and because I ate there for the first time with her. And it was Waltz at Disneyland Paris. Like it was an amazing experience. The entire restaurant, I I had never been there because every time I'd been, it's been closed. And Becky was there just shortly before I was and posted these beautiful pictures. And to the point where I actually took the exact same picture that she took. Uh, but Janine and I were in the Frontierland dining area, had a perfect view out the window as the parade went by. It was just, you know, the food may not have been the most important part of it, but everything all worked together. Mm. Yeah, that's a beautiful place. Uh, just the way each room is is themed to a different land in the park is just amazing. So, yes, I thought that that's an an amazing experience. I actually had as my choice uh, going back to your counter service of uh, Volcania, because uh, again, I think yeah, I like the food there. I know people, other people who have not been impressed by the Chinese food because it's. Chinese food in Japan is a little bit different. Um, but I just think that the theming fits so well with that whole land that it's just, it just seems so organically part of it. Um, 
that I always really enjoy eating there. If this was a year ago, I would have said the evening with the entertainment on the Galactic Scar Cruiser. But since it's, you know, a year later, yeah, I'm going to go with Blue Bayou, actually, in Disneyland, because I love the atmosphere, that nighttime feel with the iron rod everywhere and the the um, the lanterns and the, the boats going by and a little bit of that Pirates of the Caribbean sound. Um, the, the food is really good. I, I just think that that's probably one of the best overall themed dining experiences in the parks. So I love all of these and I'm thrilled that none of you mentioned what's on my list. Cause I had Waltz for a second. I thought about Magellan's, I, I thought about even Skipper Canteen to Kumite, because again, you, it, it feels authentically Japanese, but I think the winner is going to surprise you and I'm going to take you. I like I like Becky's face. Um, I'm going to take you to Hong Kong Disneyland and the Explorers Club. Oh, Becky, this is a counter service location. Right. So yes. I love, I, I love this section of Hong Kong Disneyland and the Explorers Club was according to story built by Lord Henry mystic of mystic Manor fame. And he built this club think adventurers club, but, but in Hong Kong to resemble Five of the countries that he visited and admired, China, India, Russia, Morocco, and Egypt. And because he is a member of the SEA, he has all of these like amazing artifacts to welcome fellow club members and pay tribute to some of their favorite places. I love the fact that that the exterior and that main hall sort of mirror that Victorian architecture of the time with some very sort of eclectic touches along the way. But each of the dining rooms is themed and contains some of the treasures that Lord Mystic brought back. So like the colors in the Chinese room are very different than the 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 Russian room. And if you've been a fan, if you were a fan of the Adventures Club, you'll even recognize some of the tribal masks in the entry hall that were relocated there from the Adventures Club after it sadly closed low those many years ago. So Explorers Club, Hong Kong Disneyland, best overall themed dining experience. That's a good one. That's a really good, good one. Yeah. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back is all I'm saying. <laughs> Before we get to attractions and, and go to the parks, I want to go from dining to the resorts. And let's let's stick with this theme of theming and immersion. So in those terms, what Disney resort around the world stands out most to you in terms of theming and immersion, Becky, Janine, Jeremiah. I really struggled with this because I, I've got other resorts that I have answers for other questions that are coming up. So I, I kind of closed my eyes and thought if I was waking up right now, where would I want to be? And the first thing that popped into my head is Animal Kingdom Lodge in the Savannah View room. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that that whole area, while some people say it's too far away from everything, but that's what I love about it in a way. That's the resort that I go to when I'm between events or between meetings, and I just want to relax. And you open the curtains, and there's a giraffe standing there eating. It's really cool. But the the music that flows through the resort and the the menu options and the different arts and crafts that are going on, I, I just think that it's one of the best for theme and immersion. I think so. You have another question coming up on resorts, and I actually had the same one for both of them. So to 
to change it up. Um, and I think that it's a bit of a cheat. I would go with maybe Alani for the mean and immersion um, because it's about Hawaii and you actually are in Hawaii. So I feel like that's probably as immersed as you could get. Um, I really wanted to say the Explorers Lodge in Hong Kong Disneyland, but I haven't been there. So I guess I can't answer that yet. Um, for me, Disney's Grand Californian Hotel and Spa. Like it is, if I could choose one place to just stop and relax, and I did this on my last trip, sitting in front of that fireplace is just heaven. Um, you know, Wilderness Lodge kind of has that feel, but having the, you're inside the hearth and the fireplace, I've walked in there on a 120 degree day in California and just relaxed there. The, you know, the arts and crafts movement of the turn of the 20th century just runs throughout the entire hotel. And kind of going with Becky's, if you have the view looking into the park, especially towards the River Rapids, it's it's an amazing feel. Yeah, my first impulse answer and the place to your answer, answer your question, Becky, is the place that I would want to stay would be Wilderness Lodge. But if I, if I want to answer the question that was asked... This is what three years of law school do. Answer the question I was asked, Counselor. In terms of theming and immersion, I, I think you're right. I think it, it, it's far and away Animal Kingdom Lodge. Um, I, I think the way it resembles that that lodge and reserve that that is clearly not just inspired by the culture and the art and the landscape of Africa, but it was, it was brought from Africa into this location, the wildlife viewing, the authentic artwork, the theme dining, the fact that the they have and continue to have cultural representation and activities in and outside of the resorts um, made it the, the, the clear, like far and away winner for me. Although it might, might be the place that I would stay, I, I think it's to answer the question that was asked. It's the, the best in terms of theming. Um, Becky, this is all you. I, I literally wrote this question just for you. What is the most luxurious or impressive Disney resort that you've stayed at and what makes it special. And I think, and, and, you know, look, part of the reason why we do this is, is yes, we're having fun and we're talking about some of the things, but I also, if you're planning a trip to a Disney park, I want some of these answers to hopefully be helpful to you and, you know, be one little spark of inspiration for ideas. So if you're saying, Hey, I want to do something special. I want to sort of splurge a little bit. I want to impress, you know, my friend and take them to somewhere you know, luxurious, this is a question that might uh, help you out. So what do you think? And, and you've stayed in a lot of resorts, Becky, the most mm -hmm. luxurious or impressive and, and what makes it so special? Of the Disney resorts, obviously you and I have stayed in some pretty amazing resorts. The adventures, the adventures by Disney by resorts Disney. are off the table. Yeah, because, I know. Yeah. But, but man, <laughs> right. but that's where I would go. That's immediately. a separate conversation. We'll do a, uh, um, an adventures by Disney show another day. So for luxury and the most impressive and i'm not sure if this was just because it was my first time there and all the little details hit me but it was definitely the hotel miracosta in tokyo disney sea yeah. that had surprises and little touches and those things that you expect in a luxury resort um remember the little amenity kits yeah. that would arrive every single day and it wasn't just like hey something thrown in a cardboard box it was these little tins that were 
beautifully designed with all the little amenity pieces in it and the slippers that you get that every day they give you a new pair of slippers and you have to take them home. So I know people that come home after staying there eight nights and they have eight pairs of slippers per person. They need a bag just for the slippers. But the the way that um, everything is connected, it's easy to get into the park. It's actually connected to the park. Uh, you get some little steam park views from there and everything in the room was impeccable so I, I think that out of the disney resorts that takes the top yeah miracosta would have definitely have been my choice also i the caveat is that i have not actually stayed there but i feel like i have stayed there until like they kicked me out basically so <laughs> i i've done everything except for stay there i have all the amenities uh through uh, judicious trading um but really, I think that the the restaurants there are are amazing. Most of them have views out into the parks, but you can watch the shows from them. Um, really just an amazing place. So my initial one was Newport Beach at Disneyland Paris, which isn't really the luxury of the Disneyland Resort, Disneyland Paris Resort. So it's a Disneyland hotel. But just the design and the feel of it. I know Janine was just there when we were out there for the 30th. But then Janine brought up what really is just heaven on earth, and that's Alani. Um, you know, that that is the place that if I had to choose the place to, you know, lay my bones for the last few nights of my life, Alani, sunset view, just that is pure heaven. Good. It's more like the lazy river there more than the rooms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. We well, I didn't think necessarily about Alani. We'll sort of for purposes of this conversation, we'll consider it a a theme park because to a certain degree it really is. And I agree with, with you, Becky. It's it's Hotel Miracosta. Um again, far and away, it it from the moment you approach the resort just exudes luxury. Um it is it is the most elaborately decorated um it's inspired by portofino and, and venice and and the location you know with those views of mediterranean harbor and mount prometheus and the aquasphere plaza i mean even it's not just the i mean the rooms are are incredible but the even the public spaces right the sort of the main lobby areas they are lavish and they are upscale and w without without being sort of, you know, overtly opulent or, or, or excessive or garish. It, it is, it is wonderfully elegant yet still comfortable. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it is, you know, the best of the best of the best of resorts. Now let's, let's flip the coin. What Disney resort, in your opinion offers the best value for the money, right? Because sometimes, and I usually travel this way, I don't necessarily book, you know, if unless I'm going to spend a lot of time at the resort, I'd rather save my money for snacks. So um, sometimes we look to try and find what the best value on a in a Disney resort property is. Uh, Jeremiah, Becky, and Janine. Uh, I'm going, and this one, the word value screams this, but I love this hotel, Pop Century. Um, it's it is a value hotel at the Walt Disney World Resort. When I first started coming out here, I stayed at all the all-stars and then they built pop. And for me, yes, it's a value hotel. Yes, it's a room. But, you know, as a 
opposed to you, Lou, my goal is usually the park, less the food. And as long as I have a nice place to hang my hat and take a shower, Pop Century, especially with the addition of the Skyliner station right there. And it's always just so close to the parks. So that's that's for me. The, the Skyliner was a big game changer when that came along, because uh, along the same lines as, as you, Jeremiah, uh, value isn't actually price to me. Value is what you're getting for the money that you're paying. And with that, I would say Caribbean Beach actually mm-hmm. is a good value for the money because you're getting a little bit more in terms of amenities around the resort uh, than you are with Pop, but you are on the Skyliner, so it's easy for transportation. Um, you also have all the restaurants that are available at Caribbean Beach, but you also have easy access to all the restaurants over at Riviera as well. So I, I just think from a location standpoint, the amenities at the resorts and location, 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 Caribbean Beach. Um, so for, I'm just one of these poor plain folks. So actually value does mean money to me most of the time, but um, I, I would go with Jeremiah. I would, I would probably go with pop. I think that value is, it's a tough call for a lot of these resorts everywhere around the world now in this post COVID era, uh, everything seems like it's way more expensive than it was previously. Um, but I think that the Skyway does make the pop the best value uh, for me when I stay there. Yeah, when I, when I was answering this question, and again, admittedly not having stayed at every single resort around the world, I, I tried to look at not just affordability, but the theming, the atmosphere, the, the quality of the rooms, the transportation, dining, recreation, and, and proximity to parks also played into it. So I, I looked at some of the ones around the world that, that I hadn't stayed at, and I just, I, I couldn't, you know, I can't speak to the Hotel Cheyenne and Disneyland Paris, which I hear a lot of good things about, or Disney Great. Explorers Lodge in Hong Kong, which I've also heard really good things about. So Pop Century, again, for me, was the the, the clear winner. And, and a lot of times when I lived in New Jersey, and even sometimes when I've stayed for sort of staycations here, Pop Century is where we would go because I love that that nostalgic theme, that celebration of American pop culture and video games and, and going back. But uh, the rooms have been relatively recently refurbished. They're very modern. They're very efficient. And the Skyliner, same thing. The Skyliner and the uh, the food court area were the things for me that sort of put it over the top. All right. Let's go from dining and resorts over to the parks. And there's a lot to cover here. So um, let's sort of kick it off um, because I think like the resorts, like dining, different strokes for different folks, different people go for and are attracted to different things. But what attraction across all of the Disney parks worldwide do you think is the most thrilling? And I leave thrilling as relatively vague. You can define that however you would like. Uh, Jeremiah, Janine, and then Becky. Since the first time I rode this in 1996, this has been my answer for pretty much almost best attraction period. It's the Tower of Terror at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Uh, just the thrill. The, my friend who I traveled with that time will tell people to this day how I didn't know what I was experiencing because in 96 we're a little pre like videos and everything. So 
I was defined as screaming like a little girl on those <laughs> drops. And to this day, you know, if there's any one attraction that I will go to and ride every time I can is the Tower of Terror. And which did you say was your favorite one worldwide? Uh, the one in Disney's Hollywood Studios. Okay. Janine? Um, so mine, which is also one of my uh, favorite rides overall, uh, would be Journey to the Center of the Earth over in Tokyo Disney Sea. Um, I don't want to do spoilers because my assumption is that most people have probably not done that one. But um, there's just a lot of different elements to it, I think, um, that are both startling sort of in like a psychological and a visceral sense. And I just think that it's 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 very well designed for uh, for keeping people entertained. Mm -hmm. I, I went along the lines of Jeremiah, but the other coast, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. That's thrilling to me because thrilling to me is something that I'm really looking forward to and giddy after I get off the ride. And during the ride, I'm I'm it's exhilaration. And the first time that I rode Mission Breakout, I was giggling and singing and it was a party and a ride and I couldn't wait to get back on it. Um, but you know, well, there's, there's others out there that, that also offer different thrills. That one sticks with me and I need to do it every time I go. Yeah. I, these are all great entries. And when I thought about thrilling, I said, well, look, Lou, thrilling doesn't just mean fast, right? We're not sort of rating these things based purely on speed. I think there was, for me, I also sort of think about the rewritability factor in terms of thrills. Like maybe I'm just getting old. Like I can't ride Tower of Terror like seven times in a row anymore. Like, like you know, it just starts to. So can. I thought about Tower of Terror. I, I thought about uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Look, you know, I, I love every single thing about that attraction, the movie, James Mason. That was a really bad impression. I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> flight of passage I thought, but I'm like, no, it's not. I almost went there. It's right. How do I define thrilling? Like it, it was emotional. Becky, you were with me. Like I literally, like I was crying when I came off of it. But for me, the one that defines by my definition of thrilling is Indiana Jones adventure at Disneyland and, and Tokyo Disney sea. I think it's, it's high speed. It's turbulent. It's incredible story amazing special effects that still hold up. It's this, when you get into that cavernous space, there is a still to this day, like this moment of awe. Um, and even after all these years, I think that attraction still holds up. So Indiana Jones adventure for me is my most thrilling. That's a good one. Okay. We're going to go from attractions to attractions, but not things that you ride with things that you see. And of all the Disney park shows, that you've seen around the world, which one has left the most lasting impression on you? Becky, Janine, Jeremiah. Ah, I struggled with this one too, because I'm, I'm not really a big shows person, but there are a couple that I've seen. This may not fit to the, the lawyerness in what you've asked here, <laughs> but, but the one the one show that always pops into my brain when I think of something that I, uh, that I saw that I enjoyed that I would love to have back um, Osborne family spectacle of dancing lights of all things. Uh, it, 
it had such a huge impression on me when I first saw it. And as, as a, as a lighting geek, it was incredibly cool to see all of that mastery go on, um, how they put it up and took it down every year. And the first time that I saw it, it, it had such, um, such an impact that that's when I said, I have to figure out a way to make this a, a private event because it was just so impactful. And in, in the private events to have the entire street and all of that with 150 people meant you could do cartwheels up and down the, the, um, the, the streets. And I remember watching people do that or, or laying down on the, on the ground and looking up to see it. So I, I think of all the shows it's technically, I guess, not a show, but that was the only one that really kept Cape forward in my memory. Mm. Janine. Um, so the one that I was thinking of was, um, and I swear I did go to all the parks. It's just I spent more international time in Tokyo than any place else. The first time I went there, one of the first shows that I saw was called Encore, which nobody remembers because I am as old as dirt. But Encore was in the um, the Broadway theater um, prior to Big Bandy. And it was literally just kind of a straight musical review. It didn't it didn't have any characters. It had very little Disney in it. It, I had just gotten to Japan for one of the first times, and it was just so amazing that you're sitting in this Broadway theater watching the show, which is completely in English. All the songs were in English, and it, you could not even imagine that this was happening, that you were in Japan and watching this. Uh, it was so out of place and time. Jeremiah? This one was way too easy for me. There is no show that has ever been or will ever be that will top the original Disneyland Phantasmic. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I, I, I ditched my high school graduation, and that was the first time I ever saw Phantasmic. And I can remember sitting right along the rivers of America crying how amazing that is um i have a scar from that show that i'll tell a story some other time emotional or physical like is it wow uh physical like (laughs) technically i could have almost died because of that show but again a story for a different time um but yeah it is it is still like even with the changes it's amazing but it will never be the original show so I, I love that that because it's the way I specifically frame the question was you talking about personal experiences, right? We're not just saying the best objective show because there's a lot of subject subject subjectivity they wanted to interject in this. And as I was answering the question for myself, I was like, wow, you know, I did just see Lion King, Rhythm of the Pride Lands at Disneyland Paris, which is, is a very powerful. And I'm like, no it's recency bias because I'm, I'm, I'm like thinking about lasting impressions and I'm like, well, I went with my daughter and I was like, well, I also love the original festival, the Lion King. And I remember seeing that with my kids and them getting up and the, the crowd interaction and the acrobatics and the puppetry. And again, that show still holds up. But if I'm going to talk about a show that left a lasting impression, I've never in my life before walked into a show, walked into a theater, saw a show walked out, went to the little cart and bought the CD, except the first time I saw Finding Nemo the musical. And this is a total 
personal thing. And I'm, I didn't think I was going to cry, but I can feel it welling up already inside me because I now have two kids in college. When my son was a little boy, this came out and I was down there and I saw it and I brought it home and <laughs> stupid, Montreal, you're such an idiot. Um, it's what we played to him every single night as he was in his crib, like falling asleep. And he, we had a lot of Nemo decorations in his room. And so I'm, a, I'm a, in my mind now, I'm hearing in the big blue world and I can see me looking down at this tiny fat little meatball of a boy that he used to be. Um, but the, the puppetry was so innovative and I love that they made a non-musical movie into a musical with original songs that, that brought that story to life. So Finding Nemo the Musical will always, always hold a very, very special place in my heart. I love my daughter too, but for me and, and my son, that's that's what it meant. So, ah, that was really good. That was, yeah. Sorry, I'm all I'm all weepy now. Sorry, um, <laughs> I know I'm an idiot. Forgive me. Um, all right, I'll quickly go to another question so I could cry in silence. Um, what uh, what park or what parade do you think? is or has been the most spectacular parade you've ever seen. Hold on. Before you go, Lou, I I want to see, this could be the only time that I think all four of us have the same answer. So I want to see how this goes. So now you got to go first because now you got to lead off and see if we're. I, it's easy. Tokyo Disneyland, Dreamlights. <laughs> There's one. <laughs> yeah, I had Dreamlights. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, this, but I, I'll tell you, this was close. This was close for me because, and then we can all just quickly sort of discuss it because I said, all right, when I say spectacular, Lou, like, what do you really mean? And I was like, well, things like, remember the, the stars and motor cars parade at MGM? Like that was so different and it embodied like what that park is and the floats and the way they were designed and the cars and the land speed like, that was a super cool parade. And I was like, well, no, Mangello, you have to say Main Street Electrical Parade because it tugs at your nostalgic heartstrings and Baroque hoedown. And I'm like, but that's not your question. Your question was spectacular parade. And I was like, well, well, that's easy. It's paint the night at Disney California Adventure <laughs> because I love that parade. I love the music. I love the lights. And I'm like, oh, you're a moron because there's also well, Dreamlights yeah. in Tokyo Disneyland, which... <laughs> You know, it brings it. Look, Tokyo Disneyland for in so many respects, I think it's the reason why we it's going to come up a lot is it's the best of the best of the best. And that's sort of what this parade is. It's like a new version of Baroque Hoedown and floats from classic films and modern films and, you know, inspired by attractions like Small World and the lights and the length on the beauty of this parade is nothing short of the word that I used in the question, which is spectacular. And it's like, it's like 45 minutes long, right? Like it's like yeah. really, really long. Long. Yeah. And they change it up a lot too. Yeah. They add in new floats every couple of years. It, I, I had a chance to see it, I think three times when I was there and every time it's just, you know, it, the technology that they, they continue to advance with that parade. It, it takes everything from Paint the Night, uh, Spectrum Magic, Electric Parade, everything we've ever seen, and puts it together. Even 
you know, light magic stuff. And it's like a review of your day. <laughs> in yeah. a way um everything you just experienced in the park during the day it's it's like this nighttime very cool review going past you of everything you experienced and um what, what a great way to end your day in the park i think walt would see that parade go wow that's really cool like that's a really cool like <laughs> kudos that's a really cool parade um all right, before we get into the attractions, I want to sort of stay in this in this same vein, right? We're talking about sort of ending the day with with a, a nighttime parade or data. What what park and what what show what is the most enchanting nighttime spectacular or fireworks show? Becky, you're you're smiling as if you have something like you can't wait to say. So, Becky, Jeremiah, Janine. You totally misinterpreted my face, but that's okay because <laughs> the, the hard part is is the decision because there's there's a ton of things in, in these nighttime spectaculars and and I'm all about the pyro and I I really do in, enjoy this part of visiting a park, but for me it's got to be Disneyland Paris. Mm-hmm. I I really love the shows that they do at Disneyland Paris and it's it's both of them um the the castle show with their projections it was the first time I ever saw castle projections was at Disneyland Paris and I was staying in one of the suites that actually looked down main street and looked right at the the castle and at two o'clock in the morning they were practicing the Christmas parade and the the projections which it was the first time they were ever going to do it. It was obviously several years ago. And that has always stuck with me. So every time I've seen the nighttime spectaculars there and now the um, the, impl- the implementation of the drone, drone technology as well, it, it blows my mind. And I really adore it. And I think Disneyland Paris is sometimes on the forefront of, of these types of technology for those spectaculars. Um as far as nighttime spectacular, it's easy. Avengers, Power of the Night, that's just probably one of the most amazing things. Janine and I were there uh, suffering through the cold and the rain to watch that show after trying for two nights in a row. Much but when, when you say enchanting, uh, probably the best pyro show that's ever been will be Wishes. Like, I I love that show. It, it was spectacular it was you know jimmy cricket narrating it just that tugs at the heartstrings yeah i did feel like the drone work at disneyland paris was amazing and i think that going forward it looks like their shows um are really going to make good use of that for me though uh, if you go for enchanting i for nostalgia i have to go with uh remember dreams come true over at disneyland um you know that's disneyland is is the park that I have gone to for the bulk of my existence. And I think that that show really sort of highlighted a lot of the special things about it. You know, I think because I, I really want to invite the the listener, our friend who's, who's hopefully not just passively listening to this, but sort of, I want you to be sort of a participant, right? I want to talk, I want to talk about this a lot, either by you calling the voicemail or commenting in the, in the clubhouse. I think this is one that is going to have such a wide spectrum of answers because my heart first went to wishes, right? I was like, I use the word enchanting. Like it has all of the elements. It's got the music, it's got the pyrotechnics, but it's not, it's not my answer. And I I almost want to sort of mush like a few into one because you're right, Becky, 
Disneyland Paris does nighttime spectaculars in a remarkably innovative and amazing way. The first time I saw Avengers Power of the Night, Jeremiah, my mouth was on the floor, which I know I'm not very tall. It's not a very far distance, but the it was a jaw dropping drone show with characters from the Marvel Universe set to music like just so creative. Disney Dreams in Disneyland Paris, where I love, love, love the story, which was easy to follow of Peter Pan's shadow leading you through these classic and timeless and new and beloved stories. Again, jaw-dropping fireworks, um, incredible effects on the castle, um, the D-Light show, right? The D-Light show over the castle with, you know, 150 drones. And I haven't seen it yet, but we need to go back. We need to go because if what we're seeing of this electrical sky parade that's coming to Disneyland Paris in early 2024, um, it's going to capture the emotions of things like Main Street Electrical Parade and sort of resurrect it in a drone show. So I'm going to cheat and say all like everything that Disneyland Paris does, um, you know, in the sky and, and in that park has just been it just it's it's amazing. We have to go back. It fine. We're Yeah, we are going Easy. back, but <laughs> I know somebody can help you with that. Jeremiah's throwing his hands off like, come on, Manchella, let's go. All right, <laughs> let's go. Let's go from nighttime spectaculars and parades. Let's sort of, let's get our hands dirty and talk about some of the attractions. And I'm leading off with one that is not just one of, if not arguably, my favorite. That concludes part one of our look at the best of the best from the Disney parks around the world. We have a lot more to share coming up next week in part two. But in the meantime, I'd love to hear from you what you think about what we discussed on this first episode. More importantly, your best dining experience in any Disney park around the world. I'll post this question in the clubhouse and you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 and I'll play it on the air. So please tune in next week for part two. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World trivia or see how well you pay attention to the details in which you see, hear, taste, or remember. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. Because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of the show to life all the contests, the live broadcasts, the giveaways, they're all thanks to, buy for, with, and really about you. And you can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts and trivia quests. Participate in our monthly group video call, get access to our private Facebook group, their shirts, stickers, monthly care packages from the parks, early access and discounts to special events and much more. I am so grateful to you, not just for your time, but for your friendship and love and support and help. And I love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new and longtime members of the Nation family, including Annie Fisher, Carrie Mazaros, Sharon Bruno, Krista Julio, and Stephen Wright. 
And if you want to find out how you can help the show, you can visit www.radio.com slash support. Now, before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week I told you I was cleaning out my garage, getting ready for our Make-A-Wish auction and lunch in January. To learn more and get your tickets, visit www.radio.com slash dreamteamlunch. We have some amazing, amazing auction items and experiences to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. But I digress because while I was in my garage, I found some old Disney dollars in my collection. And if you remember or still have some, they were produced from 1987 through 2016 as currency to collect or spend in the parks and stores with different characters or icons on each denomination. But one thing was the same. And that's what I wanted you to tell me last week, which was who was the treasurer whose name was signed on every single Disney dollar? Thanks to all of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew, of course, that it makes perfect sense that it is one Scrooge McDuck. And just a quick little bit of added trivia. Did you know that the idea for Disney dollars came from Harry Bryce, who was a silhouette artist on Main Street USA in Disneyland, who was attending a Disneyana convention, saw people buying and collecting basically anything that had Disney on it, and said, why don't we make something specifically for the collector? And he came up with the idea of a souvenir item that looked and acted just like real money. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WWDO keychain and stickers. I'm gonna throw a pin in there as well. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Leah Ayad. So Leah, congratulations. I will get your prize package out to you right away. And of course, if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World or Disney Cruise Line Trivia Challenge. So later this week, I'm heading to the Disney Dream and their new port in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for a very merry time cruise that I'm going to share with you and bring you with me on social and live this week. I'll be sharing primarily on my Instagram stories and posts at Lou Mangiello, and I'll try and go live from the ship when I can on the WWO page and in the clubhouse on Facebook. So let's hop on board the Disney Dream for this week's trivia question, because every Disney Cruise Line ship has a statue in its grand atrium or hall. So your question this week is simply to tell me what character statue stands in the atrium of the Disney Dream? You have until Sunday, December 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there, and this week, you're going to play not just for a keychain, not just for stickers, not just for a pin, but I'll also bring you back something special from the Disney Dream and the Very Merry Time Cruise. So good luck and have fun. I hope you enjoyed part one of our look at the best of the best of the Disney parks around the world. We have a lot more to cover in part two coming next week. But in the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. And what do you think is the best dining experience in any Disney park around the world? And if you haven't visited them all, tell me the one that you enjoy most and the one around the world that you wish you could try next. 
I'll post this question and others in the clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You can answer it there and or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. You can let me know there. I'll play it on the show. Or if you just have a question, a comment, or a hello from the parks, you can leave that voicemail as well. I'd also love to connect with you online. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and X. And please be sure to like the WW Radio page on Facebook and join the clubhouse and turn on notifications so you don't miss a thing, including, but not limited to, our WW Radio live show every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And like I said, I'm also going to go live from the Very Merry Time Cruise on the Disney Dream this weekend, Thursday through Monday, so be sure to turn on notifications and see first on Facebook. And also, if you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the show or just one for me, you can always email me, lou at www.radio.com. And of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So please be sure to check out our events page at www.radio.com slash events for our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World, information about our dream team lunch and auction over Marathon Weekend in January, our upcoming group cruises, our Halloween on the High Seas cruise in October 2024 with a visit to Lighthouse Point, and our Western Caribbean cruise on the brand new Disney Treasure in February 2025. For information about either or both of those, you can visit www.radio.com cruises for a free no-obligation quote from our friends over at mousefantravel.com. They are my official and recommended travel provider. It's who I use, it's who I love, it's who I trust, which is why I recommend them to you. Please also visit loumangelo.com if you are ready to take your idea, your business, or brand to the next level and maybe infuse a little bit of Disney magic into your event or business. I am a keynote speaker that brings actionable insights from Disney's world to your event and workshop. And if you're looking for personal growth, you can join my one-on-one coaching or upcoming weekly mastermind group that's starting in January and learn more about my in-person momentum events in Walt Disney World and soon to be at sea. Stay tuned. Again, you can find everything. Send me an email over at loumangelo.com. And as always, my friend, and you really are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, and all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Invite your friends to listen and subscribe. Come be part of the community and conversation over in the clubhouse. And if you can, take just a couple seconds to rate and review the show over in Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Jakey K, who says, much love to Lou and his crew. This is my favorite podcast for all things Disney. Lou's positivity always puts a smile on my face. I could go on, but don't want to take up too much time. Thank you, Lou, and your crew for the lovely podcast. Have a good one. P.S. Thank you for recycling some of your classic podcasts for those of us that found your podcast more recently. JKK, thank you for listening, taking the time, and I'm happy that you are enjoying the archive shows in the feed every Thursday. None of this happens without you, JKK, and without you. My friend who is listening, I appreciate you more than you know. If there's ever anything I can do to help you, please reach out and just let me know. And please always remember to choose the good and remember that every action, no matter how small, has the power to create a ripple effect of positivity. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope to see you on the live show or shows later on this week from the Disney Dream. So until next time, I hope that this is your best week ever. See ya. Good post-Thanksgiving afternoon, Lou. This is Joe King calling in. It's been a while. Uh, I've had a lot of catching up on some episodes to do, but I just finished listening to episode uh, 754, uh, top 10 most or top 10 moments in Walt Disney Company history, 
And it got me thinking. I'm a huge fan of uh, Bob Iger and his book, and I actually use a lot of it for leadership principles and everything, the whole innovate or die thing. But uh, something that popped out to me that it's kind of small, but the impact of it was huge when you really get to thinking about it. And that was the year in which I believe it was the, the second year he took over or the first year, one of his top priorities was mending relationships with, um, um, oh, gosh, wow, why am I drawing a blank? The, the founder of Apple, uh, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs. Uh, and so he attended the Apple Expo in which Steve announced, I believe it was the iPod that allowed video. And at that same expo is where Bob allowed Disney content to be streamed on Apple iPods. And that was kind of the first Band-Aid uh, applied to the the injury between the Disney company and Apple, you know, uh, uh, Steve Jobs and – I'm sorry, not Apple, just Steve Jobs in general and his company with Pixar. Uh, there's a, there's that wound, that fresh open wound between Michael Eisner and Steve Jobs. And Bob Iger really saw the value and what a relationship with him could bring to the company. And it was because he allowed that the Disney content to be on that Apple iPod that it, the relationship began to reform. And because of it, so much came out of it. You can look at it from different ways. Uh, they acquired Pixar, and Steve Jobs joined the board, and a lot of his creativity and unfiltered honesty with Bob helped form the, the Walt Disney Company into this media giant that it is. I mean, the, the acquisition of Pixar, and then you move on to um, uh, Lucasfilm, Marvel, Fox, all that. They really enabled them to know that they could step into that, that field of acquisitions, uh, even though they weren't really a, a stranger to it, but Bob took those risks, and Steve was there up until his death. And uh, you can tell in Bob's book how Steve's passing really, really affected him. Uh, he was close to him, and uh, Steve, he was the first one to know about Steve's cancer. That, that, that one moment where Iger attended to that expo and they announced the Apple iPod, and it would allow Disney content – that was the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful relationship uh, between Steve Jobs and Bob Iger and the impacts that Steve Jobs had on the company with his ideas and his creativity projected Disney into the media giant that it is today. So um, that's, that's my moment. It's small, but the impact is profound. So um, keep choosing good. Thank you for do, doing what you do. And I look forward to catching up on all the episodes I missed. Uh, you have a good one.